Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 326th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice American Business Channel. Broadcasting in this our eighth year across the world from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. I know the the world seems to be having weird weather. I'm sitting here looking across the west of LA and is absolutely magnificent, crystal clear, lovely day. I'm in a t-shirt, so all of you people are freezing under six foot of snow. Ha! Move to sunny California. You know, there's only two um, there's only two seasons here. There's summer, and there's award season. And they're the only two seasons we have, really. And uh, we're right in the middle of the award season. It's really exciting. Everywhere you go, there's police blocking off hotels and thousands of big black limos out the front, barricades, and it's pretty cool. Now, over the past ten years. Over 60% of all meals eaten in the United States are prepared outside the home. So people either go out to eat or they buy packaged food with they bring home or they have food delivered. But in the mid to longer term, most people I think will revert to eating at home, but will probably get all their meals via delivery. Now there's been a big burst of pre-prepared, well, not pre-prepared, but pre-packed meals where all you've got to do is assemble it and cook it at home. But over the next few years, I think there's two trends are going to dominate. Delivery networks like Order Ahead and DoorDash, they're going to expand. And if you're in a popular area, like a, an urban centre, it becomes very easy to get food delivered from almost anywhere and for the marginal cost of delivery. Secondly, there's made-for-delivery restaurants like Sprig, where there's no actual restaurant, it's all virtual, essentially. They'll grow in scale, they'll increase in quality and decrease in price. They simply prepare meals for delivery to homes. Now, these are convenient services, but they, they don't work out for most households because restaurant food and delivery costs are still relatively expensive for most people and it's worse for people that live outside cities because restaurants are much further away. Delivery costs are roughly 75% for the driver fee and 25% for the car and fuel. So that's how if it costs $10, so $7.50 for the driver, $2.50 for the car and fuel. But when self-driving cars come out, and are common in less, probably less than five years, the cost will be cut by about 75%. So instead of $10 delivery, it'll be $2.50. And you don't need an entire car to deliver a meal. So once you don't need the driver, the vehicle can be something like a motorised skateboard with a heater built in, which saves further on the car and fuel costs. It also means you can hold more of these vehicles on the existing road infrastructure. 
So the net effect of this is that the cost of delivering food to the home will become almost zero. So with this cost so low, there's suddenly much more demand for delivery. How high will the demand go as the delivery cost approaches zero? It'll be easier to move food from restaurants to people's houses than it is to move the people to the restaurant, that's for sure. So there's almost no limit. This means most restaurants begin to optimise entirely for delivery. With the increased scale and better machinery, robots and chefs do the cooking at restaurants, meals from restaurants become cheaper and cheaper and the quality becomes higher and higher and considerably more than what most people can create at home. This should be enough to get to the stage where most meals are cooked centrally and delivered to your house. Now, it seems a bit far-fetched, but it's happening, and it's happening quickly. The structure of this industry, will it's likely going to consist of a small number of delivery networks in each location. In Los Angeles, there might be half a dozen, and a large number of restaurants, because of the preference for variety and scale. And the largest restaurants will run their own delivery system, but most deliveries will be done by the networks, a bit like Uber Eats now, except you won't be paying for the delivery. An interesting question is who controls the interface in which people browse restaurants and get recommendations about what to order? Will it be like the Netflix of food and there'll be a near monopoly within each geography? In the past, there was an idea that there would be a robot in every kitchen that cooked meals. I don't think this is probably going to happen because the robot will be expensive and it will just sit there idle most of the time and it won't be able to provide much better service and delivery networks. So I think it's all going to change. I think most of our food is going to be delivered. It'll be fantastic when it does. My taste buds and my wallet are already tingling. Cheap food, good food, delivered quickly to your home anytime you want it, any sort of variety you want. Wow, fantastic. Have you gotten into crypto yet? If not, you should act now. We're looking to a terrific year for crypto in 2018. I'm not necessarily talking about Bitcoin, although I'm confident that if you got in today, you would double your money probably in the next month. So the big problem, of course, at the moment with crypto is actually opening an exchange account because of the demand. There's so many people opening an exchange account that it's slow and it's difficult and it's pain in the ass. Now, if you'd like to know how to get around that, how to buy any cryptocurrency without going through an exchange, drop me an email at bob at bobpritchard.com and I'd love to help you. We've got quite a portfolio of crypto and uh, we'd love to talk to you about it. Now, do you get my 30-second read daily newsletter? We've now got about 1.7 million people who read it every day. It takes just 30 seconds and every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about advances in medicine which is what the newsletter was about today, was about um, analysing and looking for diseases through taking blood samples. We talk about things like Hyperloop. still amazes me that um, California's building a high-speed train. Also yesterday, 
when Hyperloop can be done for a fraction of the cost and travel at twice the speed. You know, we talk about autonomous cars, we talk about blockchain. The newsletter's free and its information is invaluable. So if you don't get it, go to my website. Now, my website is bobpritchard.com, B-O-B-P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D.com, and enrol. Now, speaking about blood tests, scientists are reporting progress on a blood test to detect many types of cancer at a very early stage, including some of the most deadly ones that lack screening tools now. And the results are phenomenal. So many groups are working on liquid biopsy tests. Now, they look for DNA and other things that tumours shed into the blood. And they do this in order to find cancer before it spreads. And, of course, if you get it before it spreads, the chances of cure are at their best. In a study in the journal Science, Johns Hopkins University scientists looked to see how well their experimental test detected cancer in people already known to have cancer, and the blood test found about 70% of eight common types of cancer in the over 1,000 patients. The rates vary depending on the type of cancer, lower for breast tumours, but high for ovarian, liver and pancreatic cancers, all not good ones. In many cases, the test narrowed the possible origin of the cancer to one or two places, such as, I don't know, colon or lung, limiting how much follow-up testing a patient might need. When tried on 812 people, it only gave seven false alarms. So that's, what, 1% or something, which is unbelievably good. The test needs to be validated in a larger study, which is already underway in the general population, rather than just cancer patients, to see if it really does work and whether it saves lives. Now, independent experts see great promise. It's such a good first set of results that it gives hope that this approach will pan out. Anything close to 50% or 40% detection is really exciting. And this one did much, much better than that. If a blood test could find 98% of ovarian cancers at an early stage, which is what these early results suggest, that would be an amazing and significant advance. But there's a hell of a long way to go to demonstrate its effectiveness as a screening test. The test detects mutations in 16 genes tied to cancer and it measures eight proteins that are often elevated when cancer is present. It covers breast cancer, colon and lung cancer and five kinds of cancer that don't have specific screening tests for people at average risk and these are things like ovarian, liver, stomach, pancreatic, pancreatic and esophageal. So they're all really serious cancers that can be detected by a simple blood test. Now, researchers tried the new test on people whose cancers were still confined to where it started but had not spread throughout the body. It detected 33% of breast cancers, 60% of colon and lung cancers, and nearly all of the ovarian and liver cancers. 
It did better when tumours were larger or had spread. It did less well at the really early stages. So the test probably won't work as well when testing the general population rather than those that are already known to have cancer. Hopkins and Geisinger Health System in Pennsylvania, they're studying 10,000 Geisinger patients and that's going to be tracked now for the next five years. This week, Cellmax Life gave results on a liquid biopsy test and that looks for whole tumour cells shed into the blood. And researchers tested 620 people getting colonoscopies, all with confirmed colon cancer. And the test had an overall accuracy of 84 to 88% for detecting cancer and a false alarm rate of only 3%. So results are unbelievably encouraging. And we're on the verge of many significant breakthrough. Medicine in the next five years is going to change the world. Now, today's guest, we I have lots and lots of people contacting me with all sorts of questions, and I'm not a lawyer. I've been around a long time, and I've been involved in many startups and raising a lot of money, and it's difficult. I mean, raising money is a pain in the ass. I've, um, I've got a good client um, in Australia who's raising some money for me, hopefully, and he gave me an encouraging uh, call today, and we've got a big call with a possible investor tomorrow, but it, it's taken a long time, and it is difficult. Now, today's guest is a great young lawyer, and he really has his act together. Jeffrey Grindle has worked extensively with entrepreneurs. He's really a great guy, and uh, he's, he was a founding editorial board member of the Journal of Business, Entrepreneurship, and the Law, and that's what you need. You need somebody who understands entrepreneurs, somebody who's not a bloody old stuff shirt, somebody who's happening and happening now. And Jeffrey's your boy. Now, I'll be back with my friend Jeffrey Grindle after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, coming to you around the world from Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. 
Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. We're in our eighth year of giving you insights into the lives of somewhere so far of about 350 or 360 of the world's most interesting people. We talk about what it is they do, what's made them successful, and we try to get behind the person a little bit and find out what it is that actually makes them tick. You know, it's extremely rare to be an extraordinary personality or a unique talent, and it's even more difficult to create a really successful business. So the people that do that obviously have a quality that most of us would like to emulate. So we need to receive all the advice and assistance from those people who have achieved success to enable our path to be a little bit easier. So that's the aim of this segment, to help you weather the obstacles that everybody who's successful, they all face it at some time along the journey, and we want to help you to become more successful. One of the most critical aspects of being an entrepreneur is one that I've found is most frequently ignored in the early stages. And my experience over a lot of companies and a lot of startups is that if you don't get the legals right in the beginning, things can go terribly wrong, not too far down the track. And they're things that you're not expecting. And often when you do seek legal advice for assistance, it's too late and it gets really complicated where it could have been done simply um, a lot earlier. If you're starting a business, you really should have a good attorney. Now, I know what you're all going to say. You're all going to say, God, it's expensive enough. I've got a, I'm borrowing off relations. I'm borrowing off friends to just to get the company started and get the product finished. I don't have time for good attorneys because they're expensive. But if you're going to go to the trouble and time and the expense of starting a business, you want to make sure that it's structured so that it protects your interests as you grow and it fits your goals. In addition, if you ever have a legal problem, you'll need somebody knowledgeable to advise you. And uh, attorneys are nowhere near as expensive as you think. And in the long term, they can work out to be extremely inexpensive. So the benefits you'll get in the long term are significant. Today's guest is a great young lawyer. He's a, he's a really good guy. He looks about 12, um, but he's, he's obviously got really good genes. He tells me that they're Dutch genes, so that explains it. Um, but he's really got his act together. Uh, Jeffrey Grendel is the managing shareholder of Klein Dinst in Los Angeles. He's got broad experience in corporate counsel work, in mergers and acquisitions and general business transactions, commercial litigation and arbitration, intellectual property registration and litigation. They're all the areas that are critical for entrepreneurs and he's worked very extensively with entrepreneurs. He graduated magna cum laude in 2002 from the Marshall School of Business at the University of Southern California, Go USC, with an emphasis on finance and business communication 
then from Pepperdine University School of Law, having served as founding editorial board member of the Journal of Business, Entrepreneurship and the Law. So he's he's well connected. He's got a good handle on this. Jeff, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. Bob, thank you, uh, and thanks for that uh, flattering introduction. I appreciate it, and uh, it's my pleasure to be here and excited to spend some time with uh, both you and uh, your audience. Thank you. Now, most entrepreneurs that I know believe that attorneys are really expensive and avoid using them. I, you know, you're walking down the street, and as soon as a Lamborghini goes past, you go, ha, ha, he must be a lawyer or a drug dealer. Um, <laughs> but after a business's initial formation – Many business owners think they can put off the basic legal and administration issues sometime in the future when they really desperately need them. Um, I happen to believe that attorneys are critical right at the start of an entrepreneurial venture because there's just too many things can go wrong in business structure and staff and management relationships, protection of the ideas, the concept. Am I being too conservative? When is the best time to get an attorney involved? Well, uh, I know it sounds biased because this is my profession, uh, but the, the answer is absolutely no, you're not being too conservative. Uh, and uh, getting an attorney involved even before the entity is formed, uh, is is the right decision. Uh, and as you um, said in your opening remarks, uh, to uh, uh, be able to uh, get the lay of the land at the outset from a legal perspective, uh, even though it, it will involve an initial cost, uh, it can be um, uh, offset by the risks and potential uh, speed bumps that you avoid uh, by contacting a lawyer early. Uh, so in, in my um, view, Bob, I think a, an effective corporate attorney grows with his or her entrepreneurial clients, right. especially in, in the startup or emerging growth sector. Uh, so I think that um, you know our firm, one of the things we uh, uh, offer is uh, uh, not only figuring out what uh, structure is best for you, be it an LLC, corporation, Partner, limited partnership, partnership, whatever, uh, is um, uh, to, um, to to help you to maintain uh, the basic things that you might need to to keep the corporate form, uh, which can also help uh, to mitigate the liability of the uh, the stakeholders yeah. uh, to prevent to prevent actions uh, to to pierce the the corporate veil and to essentially undo or make worthless uh, your, uh, uh, your forming of that entity in the first place. Um, so not only before and in the formation, uh, but in uh, doing all of the uh, documents, and it's, it's actually not that many, uh, but it's documents that uh, you want to have in place at, at the outset uh, when everyone is in agreement on things, yes. you know, as opposed to waiting for a problem, uh, that is the time to, that is the time to do it. And, um, uh, you don't want to, uh, uh, get off on a, on a path that, uh, makes it harder to course correct downstream. Yep. So to understand, uh, you know, if business people are, are appropriately focused on, um, how do I raise capital, which I know we're probably going to talk about, um, and, and how fast can I be profitable? Uh, 
but but to to have a lawyer uh, be your fiduciary in assisting you in all the things that you might not be thinking about uh, that can be extremely valuable long term. And I think most. Most entrepreneurs are usually great at what they do or whatever project they're working on, but they're lousy at business in the main, and they're certainly not good accountants and they're lousy attorneys. So, um, you know, one of the keys to being successful is to strengthen the parts where you're weak and maximise the parts where you're strong. And I think so many many entrepreneurs don't do that. No, I I totally... um I would agree in the sense that uh, that you know you uh, that a lawyer doing his or her job is really going to um, uh, point out the things that that you you obviously aren't seeing uh, to help you uh, uh, mitigate your risk exposure. Uh, but but really, I think to to probably give you um, help you to make decisions. Uh, sometimes clients will um, get frustrated if I lay things out for them and say. You know, if you decide to form an entity of this kind, or if you decide to um, have this provision in a shareholders agreement, then a certain uh, consequence could result down the line. Um, or if you decide to go this way, then there could be another result. Sort of a choose-your-own-adventure type uh, analysis that I give to them, because ultimately, I want to empower them to make a decision uh, with an op- uh, with really with clear eyes uh, and uh, and and sort of be fully aware of, uh, of what they're doing and what it could lead to. And they might get frustrated that, well, yeah, I know, you know, all of the possibilities, but what would you do? And so sometimes as lawyers, we would say, well, look, you know, uh, if it were me, I'd probably do this. Yeah. And some appreciate that. But I think the good, uh, good corporate counsel uh, will leave the um, ultimate decisions to the, uh, to the organizers or the stakeholders, let them take ownership of the process, help them understand it, and then hopefully the idea is to send, send them off on their way and they can make a bunch of money. So if I walked into you and I said, look, I'm setting up a company, I've got my, I've invented ABC and uh, I'm ready to put this into practice and start a business, do you say to me, well, the things you've got to look at are registration of business, how you protect your product, how you, um, and, and all the various things you're labor and partnership practices, etc. Do you lay that out in some sort of a time frame so that I don't sort of get hit with everything at the same time? Generally speaking, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, again, if someone comes to you early on, you'll uh, help them get formed and pick an entity that they understand uh, from both a practical business standpoint and uh, if they need tax counsel, which I am not, but if, it, if they need tax counsel to figure out what that means from a tax planning perspective, then um, then we help them with that decision. And then there are, of course, regular uh, uh, filing requirements from a corporate standpoint. These are relatively minor things, but if left uh, unattended, uh, could have significant yes. consequences, right? And and um, you know could result in the suspension of your uh, your registration with the uh, state uh, agency that's in charge of corporate uh, uh, registrations and whatnot um, could lead to penalties and things of that nature. So you want to make sure you understand your from a timing standpoint. And some some of these things are could be easily done by the stakeholders. Uh, but we, as a service to some of our corporate clients, they're sort of a maintenance service that we offer. And um, you know, for uh, let's say you have a, a corporation 
uh, and um, you, you know you you are there are uh, you've come to an agreement on the holding of meetings, annual meetings, um, and those need to be appropriately noticed, and then there yes. needs to be minutes kept, and the corporate book needs to be maintained. If that's the entity you've picked, uh, then it's good practice, or best practice, obviously, to maintain the formalities. So that's something that we are, uh, we, you know, I, again, I, I, the attributes of a good corporate attorney are ones that I've reviewed, and, and they all really involve the manner of communication sure. and help to keep your client informed. So, um, so that's the you know if you you find a good corporate lawyer to to have a long term partnership with him or her, I think that uh, really uh, can benefit you. And and as I said again, uh, it's it's worth it to uh, to engage early on for all those reasons. Yeah, and there's I know you said there's not not much paperwork, but there always seems to be plenty of paperwork from from um, the various authorities. And uh, for somebody if they're creative like I consider myself to be all that stuff is a pain in the ass you know there's just forms and all sorts of things which you don't quite understand you've got to read them through 10 times before you can work out what they are um, so oh, I think de- that's de- very de- valuable de- yeah definitely and um, uh, yeah not potentially not much paperwork just for your standard uh, you know uh, to get to get off the ground but you're right I mean it depending on the type of Business that you you do, there could be local and uh, uh, local and other jurisdictional licenses that you have to keep up. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, if you file for some type of trademark protection, then you have to. Um, uh, there, there's a process that you have to follow there, and and potential, uh, you know, f- uh, filings that you'll need to make along the way uh, for that. So. Uh, to keep up your protection. So, yeah, you're right. A lot of stuff that could be a pain, but that's what um, lawyers are supposed to ease that. Yeah. Okay. The biggest question I get asked, I get asked this constantly by entrepreneurs, and everybody seems to be confused at the moment. Almost every entrepreneur needs to raise money. Now, after you've run around your family and you've emptied their pockets and you've you know, borrowed off uncles and cousins and everybody else um, you need to go out into the market in, and raise money now with the law changes in the crowdfunding legislation say I need to raise let's just say two million bucks under this new legislation can I just go and advertise shares in my startup can I do that online in newspapers by email to people I don't know um, can I get on the radio show and say hey I need money for a project do you want to send me some? Can I do that, or can I just cold call investors on the phone? What's what's the law now? Well, I think here are are regulatory traps for the unwary, right. uh, and um, uh, and you know I think first and foremost, you know everything that I review here, this is not intended to be legal advice sure. to anybody because. Their, their situations are unique and, and everyone ought to contact a lawyer in their jurisdiction. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, but that, I think that uh, almost goes without saying, but, yeah. but, um, uh, but at any rate, you know, under um, federal securities laws, now any uh, offer or any solicitation with respect to securities must either be registered with the SEC or uh, meet certain qualifications for an exemption. And when you start with that general premise, um, then then you, you you really just go down the line from there. Typically, uh, I, I would imagine that the folks listening to your program are don't want to go through the 
the uh, uh, sort of prohibitive route of registering. Everyone's yeah. looking for exemptions. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so you ought to talk to a securities lawyer to to guide you through that that process. Uh, and in addition, you have to make sure that you check the boxes for uh, state-specific securities laws that that some folks often call blue sky laws. So, um, so as far as what what's the the state of the law, it could depend up, uh, depend upon a variety of things like how much are you looking to to raise. Um, are the folks from whom you're soliciting, uh, 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 you know, investments, are they accredited or unaccredited? Meaning, uh, basically, do, you know, uh, do they meet certain tests? Uh, and, and I think the layman's way to put it is, um, do they have uh, enough experience and enough uh, financially to be able to withstand the, uh, the inherent risks in any investment? Right. Um, now, of course, you mentioned... Uh, Crowdfunding, and certainly um, that is becoming more and more popular, and you see it in the news uh, all the time. It's sure. certain, um, uh, uh, you know, targets uh, or certain recipients of crowdfunding and certain objectives that folks have in, in working through uh, websites uh, to use that avenue. Um, uh, and so... Um, so there are uh, there are different sources uh, from which you can get capital, but again, everything has to either be registered or meet an exemption, and and you really you really have to um, talk to a lawyer to make sure that you understand uh, based on uh, what uh, what you intend to do and how you intend to go about it that you have all of your uh, that you have the lay of the land as far as what's the law is and and what uh, you need to put in any offering uh, in any uh, any materials that you're uh, circulating uh, which can again these are all like I said they're they they could be regulatory traps and if you don't do it right then um, you're exposing yourself I get um, solicitations all the time by phone and by email saying I've got this you know wonderful new ABC whiz bang thing that um, you can invest in today and you'll get in on the ground floor and you'll make you know thousands of times your money I get those all the time so are you saying that they're all illegal well um, no uh, but I, I think that they they, uh, they they might be crossing the line uh, for sure um, and uh, you know what what you might get is someone making a statement like that but then and I don't know if the, this has ever happened to you but there may be the either the fine print or it may be in that if it's a phone solicitation they might say that um, we'll promise you all these great things but each investment involves a great deal sure. of risk and ought to be considered based upon your situation. And you got to talk to a lawyer and talk to a financial advisor and talk to everyone under the sun. Is that uh, right? So I think people. Well, again, it, it sort of de- depends. I think it. it um, you know, you obviously can't. You you you're you're limited in the. You can't misrepresent things. You can't you can't commit any fraud on anyone, right? Sure. sure. Um, and so I think that it's uh, it's uh, you know. The message has to be delivered uh, uh, properly, and it has to be delivered properly to the right individuals. I think is a good way to look at it. Okay. And so, uh, just because someone is doing it doesn't mean that it's it's, it's being done properly. Which is why I think that you know your listeners should be um, should make sure that they talk to a professional, uh, a legal professional in their jurisdiction that uh, can advise them uh, on that. And 
Uh, and then perhaps if you, uh, you know, are the uh, recipient of uh, one of those uh, calls or if you uh, want to see how others do it, um, you know, try and uh, uh, pay attention to how they're doing it and what's there and then maybe talk to your professional about that and, uh, and then they can uh, help you more based on your situation. I've heard people say to me, what you need is a Reg, a reg A. So I presume that's regulation, right. eh? Um, yep. Firstly, what is it? Do I need a lawyer to set whatever it is up? Is it expensive and is it very time-consuming if you're a startup? I think it's... I think it's expensive and time-consuming, and, and but but to answer the first question, what is it? It's a uh, it it allows companies to uh, to offer and sell securities to the public, but it involves more limited disclosure requirements than what you uh, uh, could expect from uh, publicly reporting companies. So, um, in comparison to those uh, uh, registered offerings, uh, it may be. A Reg A exemption is something that a smaller company in the earlier stages of development uh, may benefit from, and they can do it in a way that that can more cost effectively, although still expensive, raise money. You know, here again, it depends on on how much you're trying to to raise. So, what do you call expenses? Uh, oh gosh, I think that's probably a relative question, um, and it, and uh, honestly. Um, but uh, you know, in other words, in my for my firm, for instance, we typically don't do uh, flat fee arrangements or project-based arrangements. Some some law firms do, and they would consider that uh, alternative billing, you know, as opposed to the your 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 standard hourly charge. Um, but uh, but the reason why you you would need uh, uh, a legal professional is that there are again there are different offering tiers depending upon how much money you want to raise in any given. 12-month period, uh, and the uh, uh, the offering uh, materials uh, that you use for your solicitations uh, must be qualified uh, by the by the SEC. And so, in the preparation of those, uh, the cost, depending upon your firm, depending upon how much they charge, depending upon the billing structure, you know, it could be uh, you know several thousand or tens of thousands of dollars just to get through that process. Honestly, and uh, so, um, so uh, I think uh, uh, you know, the and there are, because the government's involved, is it also going to take forever? Well, uh, uh, I guess I, I guess it, it it depends on your your timeline and what you're working with. But yeah, you have to build that in, and the reason why is because you can't accept any money until you're you're qualified. Uh, so, um, so, uh, so I think back to your your point before of you know uh, something the effective entrepreneurs might want to really um, you know uh, shoot first to name later and just get going uh, yeah. uh, because sometimes that's what makes the creative ones uh, so dynamic is there that their mind moves a lot faster than. Um, you know, than, than the average person, and so uh, they may not like the uh, the uh, initial outlay of costs, the waiting time, and the uh, you know relying upon someone else. Which is why you can there there are different exemptions, right? I mean, there's Reg D, which is another uh, pr- private offering uh, exemption, and there are different. Um, again, there are different uh, boxes to check to make sure that you are. Uh, so if you're the, uh, if you're a startup right. entrepreneur, are you Reg Reg Aing or Reg D? Um, you, you know, I think you probably want to start with the uh, with uh, a Reg D 
right? Which is, um, uh, you know, which, which involves uh, you're not having to have anything qualified per se, any any materials, um, but you have to provide information and disclosures to your investors in the same sort of the same type of information that would go in a reg A, but I don't think you're waiting for, uh, uh, for an official blessing of the SEC. You do have to submit a statement, a reg D uh, type of submission statement uh, to the SEC. Um, so, uh, but again, it's sort of, it sort of all uh, depends on what you're looking to do and how much capital you're looking to raise and how much money you have to spend and what your timeline is and things of that nature. And for some that have more resources or more patience, uh, there, is, there could be a benefit to investing into uh, uh, a lot of money and preparing uh, materials that will help you reach a broader group of uh, targets and, uh, and help, help you to raise a lot more money. Um, so... And, and, if I've got a Reg D, can I now send stuff to anybody or take a half-page ad in the newspaper saying, hey, I've got this great idea, send me money? Or do I still have a bunch of limitations? Well, um, you can't – for a Reg D, no. I mean, you can't have a general solicitation, right? So, so you have to that's, – that's the nature of, of, the, uh, of, of it being sort of a private offering, right? Um, so you've got to uh, know so personally who you're sending it to. Is that – that that's part of the. It could be part of the one of the, uh, the. Again, you're looking through all the factors here, and you're trying to hit as many uh, as possible to to secure the exemption. Uh, and um, and so it's really sort of you know you're starting in your close circle, right? Uh, and um, uh, you're trying to look for folks that you know that are that are accredited, those that have uh, the means and that have the experience to be able to understand what they're putting their money in. And I think that's probably in a, uh, uh, in a, um, in a nutshell, you know, the way to, to, to talk about these kinds of things. It can be extremely confusing. Um, but I think the, you know, if you, if you consider the balancing act here, right, you have the, the agency, the government agency, which is looking out for, um, for the investing public. Right. Helping to prevent to prevent them from being taken advantage of, uh, but but you also have um, ways that the the agency uh, has uh, has said that you know we we acknowledge that uh, the regulatory or excuse me the the burden of uh, registering publicly uh, is uh, is so much and so prohibitive that we don't want to stymie the growth of the little guys right to help them hopefully become big guys yeah. and so we have these ways for them to uh to try and uh, to try and get off the ground and get going uh without uh, that uh, huge uh, initial burden but still every every offering i mean you really have to you really have to hit the exemption or register on every offering so you so just because one uh, might uh, hit a certain exemption doesn't mean that that will be the same for all the other ones. You know, it really has to be, you have to talk to your professional, uh, a legal professional securities lawyer for each and every one. Okay. Um, I know a, a number of businesses that have failed because of disagreements between the partners. Everything's lovely when you set it up and you work your 60, 80 hours a week for months in, months out, and then all of a sudden you have a dispute um, about something or one person decides that they can't hack the pressure and want to leave and then there's this unholy fight about who owns what and how you, you know, what the person leaving gets. Um, so if you're going to go into business with some partners, um, do I need 
to go to attorney? Do, do I need to go to you and say, hey, I'm setting up with these um, with these partners. Can you draw up whatever guidelines I need so that um, we may not split amicably, but we're at least it can be resolved? Yes, and I think this is... Often I think both parties lose. Yep, I think this is the the... I tell my clients this is probably, in my opinion, the most important thing you can do is you're gonna you're gonna go into business with one another, but when you're all, as I mentioned before, when everyone's sort of happy and on the same page, um, what's your exit strategy? What happens when one of you wants to get out? What do you do? And let's 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 give you a roadmap now yeah. uh, for what what that's gonna what that is gonna look like down the line. So. Um, whether that's for for at least in California for an LLC, you have uh, your um, uh, operating agreement that talks about things like that, or for uh, in a corporation you have a buy sell agreement or a shareholder agreement. Um, you want to try and project down the line. Well, what what kind of rules do we want to have in place? How are we going to value the interest of someone that wants to get out? Um, and uh, and again, you're there that that is a sale of of uh, a security yeah. so you have to make sure that what they're doing uh, either is registered or meets an exemption so um, so you must uh, talk to uh, again talk to uh, a lawyer not only to have the lawyer draft uh, that agreement at the outset which I think is absolutely critical um, but uh, uh, but when uh, if and when you get to that point where someone wants to get out uh, then you need to, to make sure that whatever they're doing, um, if they're bringing in another member or shareholder, uh, that that transaction uh, does not uh, violate securities laws. Okay, so when when um, entrepreneurs are starting off, they meet lots of people and they do lots of deals and a lot of them are handshakes and a lot of them are just verbal deals. Some of them are, yes, I will, that's sent in, a, um, in an email. How do, how do those things stand up um, somewhere down the line or should every deal that you do and every agreement that you reach be um, memorialised in some form, ideally by an, an attorney? Well, I think that's the, the what you just said. Yeah, in a perfect world, you'd want it all to be in writing. Realistically, that doesn't happen. We all just, we just know that, right? Yep. Um, so uh, verbal agreements can be enforced, but it also could depend on the applicable law of the jurisdiction, and most will have uh, laws talking about which contracts have to be in writing. But I think that the um, best practices are, are to get the important things in writing from the start, uh, and um, you know, uh, sometimes getting a lawyer involved slows the thing down. So uh, I, I would say that it's my opinion that um, you know, you can uh, uh, put something in place, some type of writing, just to memorialize it if you want, and then go back to a lawyer and have him or her, um, you know, put it uh, in a more formal document. So, um, so it, it, you know, a lot of this again, uh, as with all these answers that are just we're talking about general principles. Uh, it depends. Best practices are to get it all, uh, get stuff in writing, or at least take good notes of certain conversations or things of that nature in the event of any dispute down the line okay. uh, but uh, but but we also have to be realistic so um, so uh, uh, and and you know what what are the um, uh, 
what are the risks? What are the needs? How quickly do you need to move? All of those things factor in. And uh, but if you have uh, counsel, then you can always call and get their uh, get a quick uh, advice from them about how to pr- best proceed. Okay, I've invented a great new product. Um, I need to, I need to protect it, right? Right. So, do I do that before I launch it into the marketplace? Do I wait until um, till later when I think I can afford it to to protect it, or do I need to protect it through? What do I protect through um, uh, a patent, and what do I protect through um, a copyright? And what do I protect? And you hear a lot of people these days saying, oh, "I don't patent anything now; it's all trade secret." I'm not quite sure that I understand all that. Sure. So you're correct that there are certain um, things, and this is mostly under the purview of uh, federal law, although some state and common law uh, may apply in certain situations. But, uh, but um, you know, your patents uh, protect, uh, you know, you've heard, it protects the process, right? So any, anybody who invents or discovers any new and useful process or machine or manufacturer or uh, some composition of something or any any improvement of anything like that, um, you could obtain a patent. Um, uh, so, uh, so that that is more um, uh, again some some type of uh, uh, process. You could think of a uh, of uh, like I said, some type of machine that uh, that helps you to, uh, uh, or or perhaps in the medical field is probably best best known, right? Some the, the, um, um, machinery that assists with a certain kind of procedure. That, that is something that you could say is probably patentable. Um, something that would involve uh, probably a great deal of, uh, of uh, research and development. So I think patents, I, I, would, I would guess that your audience is probably, unless they're in- inventors or um, unless they're trying to improve upon uh, uh, or, or create new uses from concepts that are existing, you know, I think that's probably less likely for some of your listeners. Um, I think that you're, they're more likely to be uh, going into the goods and services uh, sectors, which would be, uh, which would be trademarks, right? So yeah. Trademarks and trade names. Right. Um, and that is a relatively inexpensive process to uh, to register your trademark or your or um, uh, your trade name, uh, and uh, that is, I think, uh, a really important thing to do. Uh, and then copyright is works of authorship, uh, so um, uh, which is uh, I know is you and I based out in um, uh, in Southern California at least uh, uh, for me a lot of my clients uh, uh, in entertainment. Uh, that's Creative important temple to in the world. That's right. <laughs> so, um, but uh, uh, but yes, it's something to think about. Um, uh, and uh, something to uh, protect. You know, you, you mentioned trade secrets. Um, you know, most states, I assume, certainly California does, have laws that protect the misappropriation of trade secrets. But they're just that. They're, they're secrets that a company takes steps to protect in the first place. And if they got out, would result in the compromising of proprietary, valuable information in which a company has invested uh, resources to create. So the law uh, gives them uh, uh, inherent uh, uh, protection there, uh, but you have to do something to protect them in the first place for them okay. to be a trade secret. So, um, so uh, you know, if you're going to register uh, some uh, uh, type of intellectual property, um, you know, that's not necessarily a trade secret because a trade secret is something that you want to protect and keep keep secret. Uh, what you're you're registering your IP just. Uh, 
uh, it protects you against others that might try to trade on on what you've uh, done or perfected. Uh, so, um, so those are things that you ought to uh, talk to your lawyer about to plan for, and that you can budget accordingly, and then you can work on timing and and uh, uh, and maintaining those filings uh, as you go through. Jeffrey, we've we've run out of time, but I think as we've clearly demonstrated in the last little while, there's a hell of a lot of traps for entrepreneurs who don't get early legal advice and. To keep your business on a solid foundation, you really need to get legal advice right from the get-go. And I think, as Jeff said before, there are companies that will work with you if you're a startup, um, give you some breaks early on on the basis of building a long-term relationship. And uh, as you grow, your relationship will grow and they will get closer to their Lamborghini. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I really appreciate you speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can reach Jeffrey at – now, this is a tricky one, so listen in. His name to pronounce is Grindle, but the spelling is kind of weird. So his email address is J-G-R-O-E-R. N-D-A-L, which is nothing like Grindle, but it's J-G-R-O-E-N-D-A-L at Klein Dinst, D-I-N-S-T, law.com. Or you can reach him on 213-406-1100. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. Now, the opportunities for small business and entrepreneurs, I think, this year are going to be phenomenal, 2018. So you need to listen to the advice that you get on this program. And please, if you're setting up a company, go and see an attorney first off the First thing you do, sit down with them and say, listen, I don't have any money. I need advice. We've got a great thing happening. Let's work together. And while I'm convinced it's going to be a fantastic 2018, I think there's going to be a big correction in 2019. And a lot of what we see today will go to hell in the handbasket. However, now to emphasize the growing importance of the block importance of the blockchain. It's interesting that Bitcoin gets all the publicity, but blockchain is the basis for all of this. And blockchain is happening across every industry and major corporations. And uh, it's the backbone for all of this cryptocurrency stuff. And uh, to emphasize the growing importance, IBM and Comcast, two of the big guys on the block, are backing a a blockchain accelerator. The VC funds who have invested in blockchain have been growing extremely quickly, reaching nearly a quarter of a billion dollars in 
Q2 2017. And uh, showing this interesting is in, interest is still growing, IBM and Comcast Ventures, the, t the Telco Giants VC arm, have announced that they will provide support services and funding respectively for M-State, a new accelerator and investment fund for startups developing blockchain solutions. Galvanize, a US-based coding school and venture fund, and Bold Start Ventures, a VC firm, will also provide technical and financial support. The accelerator will look for startups that aim to solve problems for enterprises across multiple industries, including financial services, and of course, that at the moment is the big one that um, most financial services companies from stock exchanges to insurance companies to financial groups to banks are all using blockchain technology. And M-State backers point out that blockchain technology solutions targeted at enterprise um, streamline supply chain finance. They need to build up global client bases to achieve scale in order to succeed. So the accelerator is going to help them with this by introducing successful applicants to Fortune 500 companies and providing access to a network of 30 advisors to aid with marketing strategy, business development and finances and uh, applications will be reviewed by a panel and winners will be revealed in February. And by selecting only the most promising Bitcoin solutions, Block and blockchain solutions, it will narrow down the possibilities for such firms. Given how long it has taken so far um, for financial firms to build blockchain technology prototypes, never buy and bring them into production, it seems undoubted that incumbents need to help to make breakthroughs on this front. Second, Comcast is supplying funding for the program, strongly suggests it would have at least partial ownership of any solutions developed by accelerator participants, which could make FIs, which typically like to be in control of the solutions they implement, reluctant to adopt them. As such, um, it's, it's a really interesting space and the fact that big guys like Comcast, um, they're getting in and financing startups and helping to spread blockchain across all sorts of institutions means that blockchain is here to stay. Now remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Now get on the edge, go out and buy yourself some crypto. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. You know, any bastard can do the ordinary. That's simple. Ordinary is ordinary. It's better to aim for the stars and miss than aim for the gutter and succeed. And if you, you know, if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be and how incredible it is not to be ordinary. I've got a big Australia Day party next Sunday at the house, and they are the most unordinary bunch of people you've ever seen in your life. There'll be about a hundred of them, and they're all highly talented, extrovert incredible people. So I hope you can join me next Tuesday again when I'll be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative to being successful really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.